What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to another edition of B Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the early morning hours of Saturday, October 1st. We finally made it here. We are in the greatest baseball month of the year. It's October. It's here. We still got to wrap up the remainder of the regular season, but playoff baseball is just around the corner. More teams are clinching. The Mariners, I saw, clinched a postseason spot tonight for the first time in 21 years. Good for them. Good for that fan base. I'm so excited to see what ends up happening, how playoff baseball, how the bracket, all that shakes out here in 2022. It's kind of a waiting game, though, for the Cardinals, of course, because the Cardinals are in. As we know, they have clinched the National League Central Division, and they're just kind of waiting to see who they're going to end up playing in that wild card series. Going to give you the updates on the scoreboards because we're watching those other teams in the NL wildcard race to see how they've done, update you on the exact standings and what it looks like, what would need to happen for the Cardinals to play either Really, it's down to the Brewers or the Phillies. So we'll dive into that a little bit, but we'll also talk about Friday night's game at Bush Stadium, kicking off the final regular season series of the year at Bush. And is anybody surprised? You shouldn't be. We should have all seen this coming, that after Albert Pujols hit home run number 699 and 700 in consecutive at-bats last Friday in Los Angeles, that when he finally did return home at the end of the road trip, He'd have something special in store for the St. Louis fans, too. Would have been great to see him get 700 at home, right? It would have been a magical moment. It still was a magical moment, but it would have had that little extra pizzazz to it, right? But because that couldn't be the case, Albert decided tonight he was going to do something special for the fans, homering to Big Mac land for number 701. We'll talk about that and anything else that seems relevant from the game Tonight, obviously, we're not going to dive too much into the minutia because it doesn't matter. Like these games functionally just don't have any purpose. But we do want to look at how the pitchers are performing in especially the starting pitchers this weekend. It was Jack Flaherty tonight. Jordan Montgomery goes tomorrow. It's very relevant to Ali Marmel, to John Mozeliak, how these guys are looking because they've got some decisions to make on what that playoff rotation is going to be. So we'll talk about Jack Flaherty's outing tonight. Oh, by the way, I don't think I've said... The Cardinals did win this game. Two to one winners over the Pittsburgh Pirates at Bush. Like, that's how much of an afterthought the score and the outcome really is right now for the Cardinals. But that's still something that I should probably have said off the top of the podcast. So, apologies for that. Yes, two to one winners were the Cardinals tonight over Pittsburgh. They actually beat Johan Oviedo, who was obviously on this roster, on this team, in this organization for the better part of the season up until the trade deadline. He was. She's with him for like four months and spent the last couple of months now in Pittsburgh and getting a chance to start for the Pirates, which is kind of cool. Oviedo pitched well. I don't know what that means to you as a Cardinals fan where you say, I'd like to see the offense get to Oviedo a little better than they did. But we'll go over the details of that and a couple of the notable performances from the lineup for St. Louis as well tonight. All that and more coming up on B-Shape Daily. But first, I want to remind you guys real quickly, Subscribe to the podcast if you'd be so kind on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, either way, and make sure you never miss an episode. You can lock in for the notifications and always be notified and aware when B-Shape Daily drops. So we'd love to have you on board there and rate and review on Apple if you could, please. I would appreciate that too. And if you'd like to support the podcast, I've got great news. It's October 1st, so it's the first day of a new month, which is great and a great time to sign up for the Patreon 
patreon.com slash bshafer12. The way it works on Patreon, I, I think, and maybe I could edit this, but I think the way that it works is they charge each patron on the first of the month. So rather than getting in on the 29th of September, I said, ah, wait a couple of days if you're thinking about it. And if you're thinking about it, now would be a great time to do it, to basically hop on board and support B-Shafe Daily in that way. Once again, patreon.com slash bshafer12. Appreciate you guys all for listening, uh, but I'll try to do some extra things on the Patreon. I mentioned if you listen to the football podcast where I do the picks for all the NFL games, I went ahead and put that into a text post. Uh, that was something that Craig, one of my patrons, uh, patrons, patrons there at Patreon, said would be a good idea. And I said, hey, that's great. So I'm taking your guys' feedback too. Hit me up. Let me know what you think you'd like to see in a Patreon. What would get you to subscribe? Because it's all about me putting out this content and trying to make it uh, part of my career, part of what I do here uh, as a content creator, baseball writer, baseball podcaster, football, whatever else. That's I'm trying to build that up and and spending a lot of time doing it. And so I appreciate you guys sincerely for taking the time out of your day to listen. It's awesome to have you on board and to know that these episodes aren't just going out into the void. So thank you for that. Uh, but enough jibber-jabbering on. Let's get into the content of the show for tonight as we break down the Cardinals' 2-1 to win over the Pittsburgh Pirates. It was a decent outing by Jack Flaherty. He got the quality start. He got through six innings, only gave up one run. Like, this was probably one you could qualify as a step forward. Relatively efficient, 95 pitches, but still a little bit of the nibbling, right? A, a little bit of the danger that he got himself into. Four hits, two walks he allowed. So that's not a terrible ratio to have those about six base runners in six innings. Gave up one run. It was earned. Came back in the top of the fourth inning. But all in all, relatively mild night for Flaherty. Like, no huge issues. He got out of a bases loaded jam at one point on a play at second base that I thought was really too close for comfort. Shortstop flipping to the second baseman and nearly did not get there in time. But uh, I, I they didn't review that, I don't believe, because... I can remember thinking if they did review it, I'd be a little bit concerned. But evidently, that was not the case. Again, six innings for Flaherty. Uh, with the 95 pitches, I feel like if you're in peak Flaherty season and he's going deep into games and, and has got the workhorse mentality where he's not just missed the majority of his campaign, he could probably go the seventh inning and pitch to you know, 105, 110 pitches. But obviously, the Cardinals wanted to be careful with him now. There's no reason to stretch him out beyond six innings in a game where it just doesn't have any meaning. The outcome is irrelevant. So I think the Cardinals probably liked what they saw from Flaherty for the most part tonight. It was interesting hearing Ollie Marmel after the game talk about, yeah, you want to see him pitch well, but I also liked the chance to see him work out of some jams. You know, see him work into some and then figure out, okay, what does he do when he gets into those jams? And is he able to escape them, or does he sort of fold under that pressure and finds himself up a creek without a paddle, so to speak? Flaherty didn't really have those situations tonight. He was able to get out of the the traffic that he that he put on the bases, and I think that's a positive step. Was it enough, though, to convince the Cardinals that he's in their postseason rotation? I'm not entirely sure of that. I would say over the last three starts, he's progressed and gotten better in each one of them. You go back to the 16th of September against the Reds. That was five innings, four runs. Gave up six hits that day with five strikeouts, a couple of walks. Um, you know, if you're giving up nearly as many runs as innings pitch, that's not really what you want. 
But I thought improvement in some ways at San Diego, we talked about last week, nine strikeouts. That was good to see the high upside of what Jack Flaherty can bring. But you don't like at all the four walks where I think if Jack Flaherty were at his best, you'd see zero or one walk. You don't need him to be always nibbling around the edges of the strike zone. And I I get on him for that, but it's not like two walks is the end of the world by any means. But I think when he's at his best, he's just so locked in that uh, he's hitting his spots and, and not putting guys on base freely. Tonight, again, the base runners weren't overly problematic when when you give up four hits in six innings. He had good stuff, and it was interesting to hear the discussion about not really using the slider as much. He worked away from it because he was landing the curveball, as Ollie Marmel said when he was asked about it after the game, and throwing him for strikes and getting whiffs on the curveball as well. So that was a pitch that Flaherty relied on much more heavily tonight than he traditionally does and, and sort of went away from the slider, which when he threw the slider, it was working well in, in addition to the curveball, but it was sort of a repertoire switch that uh, the Cardinals saw from Flaherty tonight. And again, you're against the Pittsburgh lineup. You've got a lot of guys on the other side who are, are pretty new to the big leagues or aren't necessarily mainstays. This is not a competitive team, competitive lineup. And so you're, you're going to get some of that and you expect to have success against a lineup like that. Credit to Jack Flaherty for doing it tonight. Six innings, one run. That's the bottom line. Like I said, I don't know if that's enough to convince the Cardinals because if I look at the way it breaks down and, and check yesterday's episode of B-Shafe Daily for kind of more information on the thought process there, but when I'm talking about the potential matchups between either the Brewers or the Phillies, I mentioned it yesterday and talked at length about it that I'm facing the Phillies with my best right-handers is sort of the thought process. Even if Jose Quintana is one of my best pitchers, I don't think he's going to be my game one option against the Phillies lineup that hits lefties much better throughout the course of the year than they do righties. So Miles Michaelis, no-brainer, game one starter. Then I kind of said, we'll see what you get out of Wainwright on Sunday, and does he look like there's a turnaround that you can trust? Maybe you throw him in one of those next couple of games. Maybe you throw Quintana anyway in a game two. Whatever the case might be, the question I was sort of pondering was game three. What would that look like, and could Jack Flaherty work himself into consideration? I think the answer with what he did tonight was yes. Like I think he did a solid enough job that I don't think the Cardinals would be fearful of that, but it is just such a tricky situation when you have only a three-game series, and maybe there is no game three, right? It's best two of three. So if the first two games were won by the same team, there wouldn't be a third one. But if you did have that third game and it was one-to-one, you got to make a decision on who you're going to start with your season on the line. It's just kind of an interesting feeling and an interesting process to go Jack Flaherty in that spot, even if the righty matchup against Philadelphia is preferred. Would the Cardinals do that? Would they go with Jack Flaherty despite the fact that he hasn't pitched most of this year? Maybe he's settling into his healthiest and his most comfortable that he's been. That would be the hope. But is that enough? Is that enough to to take a guy where it just he hasn't thrown the innings to really get into the groove of the season? I don't know. That's a difficult conversation in question. And I think especially so if Wainwright pitches well, because it's going to be hard to not include Quintana at all in the first series with how well he's pitched. Like at the end of the day, you gotta you gotta throw your best arms in Quintana for the month of September. His ERA is microscopic. And even since joining the Cardinals, I think it's around two. So he's been very good for a couple of months for this team. Is it only going to be matchup-based with your decisions on pitching, or are you willing to have a little bit of wiggle room there? 
That's sort of what it looks like. But bottom line is, I think Jack Flaherty did do enough to at least stay in consideration. Like, he's going to be on the postseason roster, and I think that's going to be the right decision. That's what I learned from what he did in this game. He did show enough to say, yeah, it wasn't perfect. There are things that you always are going to be willing to to, to tweak and change about a guy's outing when, uh, he, you know, you deal with some traffic, you walk a couple of guys, but six strikeouts and six innings, moderately efficient with the 95 pitches. I would say he, he gets a, a solid passing grade for the effort tonight, and it was enough to where I think the Cardinals, yeah, they're going to find probably a place for him on that playoff roster for the wild card series. And if you get into the NLDS, I do think he makes a start in that series. Like when you talk about upside and the potential to do something great, Jack Flaherty has that as much as anybody in the rotation, if not maybe more than some of those other guys do, just because we've seen it before from him. We know the potential is there. It's just how comfortable are the Cardinals with whether that potential is going to be shown this October or if it's just too fresh off the injury to really be able to reasonably expect that to be the case. So that's kind of my breakdown of Flaherty for tonight. Uh, On the other side, Johan Oviedo, former Cardinal, right? He went over to Pittsburgh in the Quintana trade and good for the Pirates for having him in the rotation. Like he should be locked into their rotation coming into 2023. Guy that's under team control. He's got good raw stuff. He doesn't have great command all the time, but he does enough. I mean, he's got good stuff, too, and that's the thing. Like, against the Cardinals in this one, gave up two runs, both earned, one of them the Albert Pujols home run, but he goes six innings. That's a quality start, and he's coming off of a seven-inning shutout outing against the Cubs in the last time. So that's 13 innings over his last two outings, nine hits, two runs, two walks, and 11 strikeouts. Like, Jose Quintana's been very solid. I'm glad to see him getting a chance but Cardinals fans are even more glad to see Albert Pujols going deep against him tonight. Number 701, he hit it to Big Mac land in the fourth inning. I mean, there was never a doubt, right? You knew that Albert Pujols was going to find a way in this series, the final regular season series of the season at Bush, and that means of his career at Bush. You knew he'd find a way to make it happen. Home run number 22, hit it into, oh, the second or third row there in Big Mac land, 102.6 miles per hour off the bat. Great to see him get there. 200, or pardon me, 2,209 RBIs now for the career. And I believe Babe Ruth is at 2,214. So Albert is now five behind Babe Ruth for second all time on the MLB RBI list for a career. And that RBI thing with Babe Ruth is weird because he played 100 years ago and the statistics are actually like wrong depending on where you look. MLB.com, I think, actually has the wrong number for Babe Ruth's career RBI total. They have it at 2213, and I believe I've read enough information to deem that 2214 is the correct number. So it's going to be interesting. Like, Albert could very easily get around four to six RBIs the remainder of this season. I know they've only got five games left. We'll see how often he plays. But how crazy would that be is if he gets close, he hits another home run or maybe, you know, a three-run bomb or something to really start to elevate that total. And it ends up being a question mark of who actually is second all time if he gets so close and there's a discrepancy for Babe Ruth. I thought that was kind of crazy. And I spent a decent portion of my night Googling about that phenomenon. So if that's anything you know about, at B. Schaefer 12 on Twitter, let me know what you think about that situation. I'd love to see Albert maybe make a run at him because, again, only five behind and maybe four behind if if you take the more generous reading, which was MLB.com's listing uh baseball reference everywhere else said 2214 but shoot you'd think the official 
website of the league would be the, the the place to get the reliable information on that. But I guess with all the, you know, 100 years of baseball and they weren't even really tracking the statistic very closely at, at one point in time, apparently, I guess that's how something like that takes place. But nevertheless, Albert gets it done. I mean, there was a, a pregame ceremony for Albert. The Cardinals presented him with a gold-plated bat to commemorate his 700th homer. Uh, he, he got a big kind of graphic of the 700 with him swinging the bat and everybody signed it on the team. All kinds of cool stuff and fans got their chance. I will say this, like I do the radio show from four to six and so I don't get a chance to really get downtown much before first pitch. And I love the 715 games on Fridays because I get that extra 30 minutes or so compared to the 645 uh, start times on Monday through Thursday. And I made it to the ballpark in time for first pitch. I missed the majority of the, the Pujols ceremony pregame but as I was walking up around seven o'clock to the stadium there was nobody out there in line and that just tells me everybody had already gotten in they got their bobblehead and that was probably part of it too they wanted to make sure to get there in time to get the bobblehead I don't know how many of them they gave away but typically that's something that if you're going to the game and you want to get the giveaway and it's a a really good giveaway like this you you want to make sure to get there early I just thought that was really interesting and and then they showed on the ballet broadcast I noticed in the press box uh 5 20 p.m it was just flooded out there. The gates were packed and people were ready to get into the stadium close to two hours before first pitch. So Cardinals fans really showed out. Granted, after Albert Pujols was pinch run for by Corey Dickerson in the eighth inning, they all kind of started to leave uh, because they knew they'd seen, uh, they, they'd gotten what they had come to see, right? They came to see Albert hit a homer. They came to see Yachty do something special. Like that's sort of the the logistics behind what people are hoping to see at the ballpark this weekend, the final weekend of the regular season for these legends of Cardinals history and Adam Wainwright of course if he's pitching Sunday see how deep into the game that he goes but like that's another guy that that people are going to be there to see in case this ends up being his last year as well he has not said he's retiring but you know people speculate and obviously it it took a bit for him to even return this year wasn't a a given super early in that process in the offseason so uh, it ends up happening I just think back to in the uh, spring training or or maybe it was when they announced his deal last year and he did the press conference. It, it all kind of blends together. But he said, yeah, it's it's a situation where his his family's not getting a, a pet dog until he retires. And he told his kids maybe another year and they can get a dog. So we'll see if that ends up being part of the, the narrative and the conversation for Wayno this offseason. But I think, too, with the dead arm situation, it might just be that he finds – He's wearing down and doesn't want to have to fight it for another year. But I would tell you this, if he feels like he's capable of doing it and he's closing in on some of those milestones as you look at his career in its totality, I'm not saying he's going to make the Hall of Fame. If I had to guess, he probably won't. But one more year of good three-and-a-half ERA baseball and 200 innings or 180 innings or whatever it is that Wainwright can accomplish in 2023, you start putting up those counting stats a little bit more, you get to 200 wins, I mean, I'm again not saying that it would be the case that he'd get in, but it'd be it'd be a very interesting question of of my vote if 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 he were on a ballot that I were voting on. Which again, he'd have to probably play for a few more years for that to to happen, just the way it lines up. Five years post retirement for players, and I've got probably another seven or eight years before I'll get a ballot. So may not get the chance, but I would be very compelled to consider Adam Wainwright because of the longevity of what he's done for one team during an era where they won multiple World Series. Hey, maybe 2022 adds to that legacy for Adam Wainwright, closes out a World Series. That's got to count for something. 
Uh, should have a Cy Young to his name, but just, you know, got absolutely robbed by a combination of uh, his teammate Chris Carpenter having such a great year and then Tim Lincecum, the year that uh, I thought either of the Cardinals' options could have won it, and Wayno finished number three in the side. That year, he's got two other second places finish in the Cy Young voting and then a, an additional third place finish. But he had those two years as well where he basically missed entire seasons due to injury. Tommy John in 2011, and then it was the Achilles in 2015 where he hardly pitched, I believe it was. So, yeah, that's that's kind of against him in terms of the counting stats. Like, if he had pitched those years, you might be closing in on 3,000 innings, uh, certainly closer to 230 wins than, than he is at this point. He's at 195. So that's kind of my thought process, though, with Wainwright. Like, I would love to see him pitch for another year if he wants to and if he's capable of it. But the way that we're seeing it right now, it might just be it might just be that he decides it's it's easier to go out at this time rather than than try and force it for another year. I think it's really going to come down to how he feels and and how his family feels about the decision. So we'll see. It could be, though, Wainwright's last start in the regular season and maybe at all at Bush Stadium on Sunday when they take on the Pirates for the final home game of the regular calendar this year. So uh, if you can find some tickets, I mean, good luck. It's going to be probably pretty difficult at this time that that price has certainly shot up over the, the the weeks and months even leading up to it. You don't have the Albert 700 thing to worry about anymore, though, so maybe you're able to find a ticket. I think it's going to be I think it's gonna be pretty tricky, though. Nevertheless, diving in on all the speculation about uh, these players here for the Cardinals, but back on the conversation about tonight, you had the Pujols homer, as I mentioned. It was good to see, too, the next inning, the fifth inning for the Cardinals where they scored their other run. It came as a result of the guys in the middle not doing anything with major power, but Goldschmidt with a base hit and then Nolan Arenado with a base hit the opposite way to score Brendan Donovan. And Goldie goes first to third on that play. Ends up getting stranded there at the end of the fifth inning. But you get your main guys contributing. That's got to be what works for the Cardinals if this thing is going to actually happen in October, and they're going to make a run. Goldie and Arenado have got to be the guys doing it. And good to see for Goldie, too, trying to keep those numbers up for MVP. He was two for four tonight, still at 988 on the OPS. Arenado about 100 points behind of it, 893. Arenado was one for four and had that big RBI. So not a whole lot doing tonight from the Cardinals offensively, just the six hits. You had Goldie with the two that I mentioned, Arenado's and Pujols you're aware of. Off the top, Brendan Donovan. I like him as this leadoff hitter for the Cardinals. I think it's a good fit. Uh, they've had Tommy Edmond toward the bottom. He can be that second leadoff hitter. I think that works. And then Newt Bar in the two spot had a base hit tonight as well. And Newt also had a really good defensive play, a catch in right field. That kind of reminded me, again, another football reference, but if you saw the Thursday night game a couple weeks ago between the Steelers and the Browns, George Pickens, wide receiver, rookie for the Pittsburgh Steelers, made a crazy catch where he's looking back and he sort of throws his arm behind his back shoulder and finds a way to catch the ball despite not really looking at it and being able to see it into his his hand like that. That was kind of what Newt Bar did on the, this uh, line drive to right field. So nice defensive play by Newt. He gets the other base hit for the Cardinals. And Brendan Donovan, I mentioned, he goes one for four. He scored, obviously, the run on the Arenado hit and also reached base via walk. I believe it was the walk that started off the game offensively for the Cardinals. And keep an eye on what he's doing this year. He's not going to win Rookie of the Year. 
Brendan Donovan. You've got Michael Harris of the Braves. You've got Spencer Strider of the Braves. It's going to be one of those Atlanta players that wins in the National League. But 394 on base is nothing to sneeze at for the season that Brendan Donovan has had. And he's going to be close to 400 at-bats by the time it's all said and done. 374 right now. 59 runs scored. Five homers. 44 ribbies. Hitting 281 with a 394 on base and a 774 OPS. Very good. He has proven himself. I remember back in spring training thinking, yeah, he could be a kind of a Descalso utility guy. No, I mean, he's he's legitimately turned himself into a guy that you're happy to have not only in the lineup, but in a prominent role in the lineup with the way that he's performed this season. 394 on base is really nothing to sneeze at. So he's done an excellent job being able to handle himself. I just think the more and more I consider it, the more likely it feels that Cardinals are going to get through that wild card series, and it's going to happen because of those dudes at the top, Brendan Donovan, Lars Newtbar, and then Goldie and Arenado coming through. Like, that is the recipe. That's the way that it has to get done. We'll see if it's able to to be the case for the Cardinals offensively there. Uh, the bullpen, you saw tonight, Palante Gallegos-Helsley. That's going to be the recipe for the Cardinals on that side of things. I'll be curious how effective the Palante Gallegos portion of that is necessarily going to be. Like, Gallegos has been pretty good, inning in a third tonight. Gave up a hit and a walk, though, two strikeouts. Palante didn't give up a run, but Gallegos had to come in to finish up the seventh inning, and then he took the eighth. Palante with a walk and a hit allowed. You had the two strikeouts from Gio, but just one from Palante. Granted, he only got two guys out, so half the guys he got out were via the K. And then Helsley comes in, walks a guy in the ninth, but gets the strikeout and a clean inning. Paul Goldschmidt, amazing catch to end the game. He dove into and over the tarp, crashing into the netting and making the play to end a game that doesn't matter. Like, that's what's so crazy about Paul Goldsmith's play there to finish it off. Like, if you're Ollie Marmel, you probably don't necessarily, or, or John Mozeliak for that matter, you probably don't necessarily need him to dive into the stands to make that play. You probably say, yeah, save your body. Make sure you don't risk it. Um, Ollie said he was actually, he was asked about it. He, he was blocked from seeing the play, so he didn't have any, like, oh, God, is Goldie okay thought process going through his mind because he actually didn't get a chance from where he was in the dugout. It sort of uh, obscured his vision and said he was just waiting to hear the, the crowd go crazy, and when they did, he knew the game was over. And I thought, fair enough, but, man, if you had seen it live, Ollie, you might have thought, crap, we we, we got to get Goldie uh, to, to maybe not do that. But I think it, at the end of the day, like, it's Paul Goldsmith. You're not going to trust anybody in the world on this team as much as you trust Paul Goldsmith to know exactly what he needs to be doing in a given situation and he's a gamer and is going to make a play like that whether it's you know game 157 and you've already clinched or whether it's game one or maybe not spring training he's probably not crashing into the netting but you know what I'm saying Paul Goldsmith great play to end the game for the Cardinals tonight let's go ahead and shift though away from the Cardinals game specifically and talk about the standings in the National League wildcard picture because we're just desperate to know who is going to be that number six seed. I'll start here with this. Out in the NL East, we should mention the Braves and Mets going through their series now this weekend. The Braves got the better of them 5-2 to two in game one, so they are now tied for first place in the NL East. Again, situation is this. Whichever team wins that division advances to the NLDS automatically, and the other team gets placed on the opposite side of the bracket as the Cardinals. So basically, you can view it as NL East winner, and it's a three-team bracket. The Cardinals will play the number six seed, and then the winner of that will advance to face the NL East winner. Do you want it to be the Braves? Do you want it to be the Mets? Maybe too early to think about that, but at the same time, it's the time to think about that. 
because uh, after this weekend, it may already be decided. Like if the same team wins the next two games between the Mets and the Braves, suddenly you've got one team at 159 and the other at 98 and 61, two games back with three to play. So it would be very difficult if we see a Braves sweep or if the Mets come back to win that two out of three. It'd be difficult for the other team to come back and, and make anything of it. I don't know offhand what the tiebreaker situation is between the Mets and the Braves, and it may very well be that this weekend will partially help to determine that the way the Cardinals versus Milwaukee this past week did. But that's also something to monitor, and I'll have to try to look that up. Yeah, it's interesting. I think obviously you'd rather play the Braves than the Mets just because of the pitching aspect of Max Scherzer, Jacob deGrom. It's a nightmare. Like, I don't think you'd want any part of that. Granted, Max Freed made the Mets look pretty silly tonight. Five innings, gave up just one run, and he was puking evidently in the dugout, which led to him making that early exit from the game. I think very efficient, just 71 pitches or so after five innings for Freed. He's a guy that you'd have to deal with. Spencer Strider's a guy that you'd have to deal with. Like, there are really good rotations in the National League, no matter how you slice it, and that's why I continue to say it's just going to have to be the Cardinals' offense. That's the way they get through this bracket is by outslugging everybody. Um, you might get great performances from Michaelis or from Quintana or if Wainwright or Flaherty pitches. Like You could get great performances from them that carry you. I think almost every other team, though, I would rather have their rotation, at least their top three. The Cardinals might have better depth than some teams, but if I think about the the top two or three guys from some of these teams, the Mets obviously take the cake. I've told you I'm afraid of the Phillies if I'm the Cardinals because of what Zach Wheeler's done to you. And I think Aaron Nola, even though the Cardinals hit him decently when they faced him this year, he's a very, very capable elite ace-type pitcher. So that's scary. The Brewers are scary. Even if that's the team that you think, well, maybe they match up the best with them because their lineup's not as good, you still have to face Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff more likely than not. Now, again, they may need to throw all their bullets they can to get to that wild card series. So we'll pay more attention when we get closer to the end of the week in that Wednesday time period to see, all right, who's pitching on the final days of the season to where, because normally the season would end on Sunday, right? But they had to push the series back. And because of the lockout, they, they took that off the front of the calendar and sort of lopped it onto the back. And now it's a situation where maybe the Brewers have to use their top guys prior to the end of the season in order to, to just get there because it's not a guarantee that they're going to get there. So that's something that could benefit the Cardinals as well if they end up facing Milwaukee. Um, as of right now, I'm looking at it. Corbin Burns pitched on the 30th against the Marlins, which I guess <laughs> I say the 30th. Now it's October 1st. Corbin Burns pitched tonight uh, pretty good, by the way, and they won that game one nothing. did Milwaukee. He went eight innings, gave up no runs at all, four hits, no walks, seven strikeouts for Corbin Burns. And so we're doing a little bit of math. He pitched Friday. He'll be off Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So Wednesday would be his turn. And if he were to pitch on that Wednesday because the Brewers need him to to make the playoffs, he probably wouldn't be available for that wildcard series, at least until maybe game three he could, right? Because he could go Thursday, Friday, Saturday, pitch Sunday on short rest, and it's Corbin Burns, so he probably would be able to do that. That might be the one saving grace if you're the Cardinals, though. You may not get to a Game 3 of a wild card series if the Cardinals can throw Quintana and Michaelis or Quintana and Montgomery. We talked about the lefties being a big advantage. The Brewers can't hit lefties, at least historically this season. Uh, just have not had much success in that regard. So maybe the Cardinals throw their lefties at them. That was all something we discussed pretty much in depth on ye uh, yesterday's B-Shape Daily. So scroll back on your podcast feed once again if you're more interested to hear about that. 
But the way it wraps up now, I mentioned the NL East. I got kind of sidetracked. 98 and 59. Both those teams, the Mets and the Braves, are tied atop the East. In the Padres now with 86 wins, they haven't quite eclipsed the Phillies or the Brewers yet. They're still technically able to be caught. Uh, and, and the Phillies are actually kind of gaining on the San Diego Padres. 86 and 71 for the Padres. Check and see what they did. They lost to the White Sox yesterday on Friday night. And the Brewers, we know, won one nothing. The Phillies also got the win over the Nationals. And they play the Nationals three more times because they've got a doubleheader coming up on Saturday. So in the morning when you wake up, the Phillies will be playing two games against Washington, 12.05 and 6.05. But then they finish up the series at the Astros. Again, that's an Astros team that has clinched, but that's still a, a tough opponent where the Phillies are going to be scrapping for everything they can get. they got to go on the road to Houston to potentially guarantee that they're able to make the playoffs. So that's going to be kind of interesting. Right now as it stands, 86-71 and 71 for San Diego. Next is the sixth seed as it stands, 84-72 and 72 for the Phillies. They're a game and a half behind. And then as of tomorrow, like if they win both games and the Padres lose, boom, you flipped it. And now the, the Phillies would be tied and San Diego would be very much in play for the Cardinals to have to face as that sixth seed. The Brewers are a half game behind Philly. So a lot's going to happen. A lot's going to change over the next five days or so as Milwaukee, potentially San Diego getting involved, but obviously Philly, sell their differences and figure out who's going to end up going. The Brewers have an advantage. They play the Marlins two more times and the Diamondbacks to end the season three times, and that's all at home in Milwaukee. So don't count the Brewers out just yet, but they're going to have to find a way to be able to hit. That's going to be their issue, I think, even against teams like the Marlins and D-backs. They won one nothing on Friday. They lost to the Marlins on Thursday 4-2. to They got the 5-1 to win over the Cardinals prior to that, but that was a game where they didn't score until late off the bullpen, really. Quintana pitched well on that one. Cardinals 6-2 wins uh, over the Brewers the day before, and then going back all the way to, to Sunday, they had a one run against the Reds, so... It's been a week for the Brewers where other than that one big hit they got late against the Cardinals on Wednesday, they have not eclipsed two runs in a game and have mostly been sitting down around one run. So they're going to have to find a way to get the offense to wake up. And if they don't, they probably aren't in the playoffs. But if they do even a little bit, I still feel like that lineup has struggled enough recently that it would be advantage Cardinals for sure. So that's sort of the roundabout look at everything that we're dealing with right now for the Cardinals. At B. Schaefer 12 on Twitter, let me know what you would like to know what topics should we be covering this week as we prep for the playoffs? We'll get into more rotation stuff as it becomes more crystallized. We'll get into the lineup stuff as well a little bit more. I did give my lineup toward the end of last night's episode of kind of what I thought the Cardinals could generally do against right-handed pitching. We'll kind of see what ends up happening the rest of the way if they tinker with things to try and get ready for that look. We'll cover it all right here on B-Shape Daily. So appreciate you guys for joining me tonight. One more reminder, a request really to check out the Patreon if you think you might at all be interested in that. And you can DM me too on Twitter at bshafer12 if you have any questions about what that would look like, uh, why I'm doing it in the first place, things like that. I want to be an open book about this. Uh, so let me know what you guys are interested in, in asking about at bshafer12 on Twitter. And uh, thank you guys once again for joining. And we'll talk to you next time on bshafe Daily. Peace.